and it looks like the recording has begun. Hello, everybody. This is Ben. We are here for the Chestnut Checkers podcast. This is episode two. First guest was Eric. Got some good feedback on that one. This next guest, his name is Jordan Anderson, but I don't have to tell you that. Some of you might know him as IB Pro. Some of you might know him as, you know, he walks into the room and and that's just the reaction he gets from ladies, and he can't help himself. Um, this podcast is now officially not sponsored, but we are affiliates with Amazon.com. There is a link on the website, so click that. That's our portal. I don't, I'm not sure on TechSpeak, but that's the portal that you would use to go there through our website. And then if you do that, some magical stuff happens. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, you have to ask Shannon on that one. Anyway... Uh, welcome, Jordan Anderson. How are we doing tonight on Halloween? I'm good. I uh, like that you included all of my names in that introduction. Yeah, I, Jordan P. Anderson. I don't know your middle name, but I'm going to make it a thing where I refer to every guest as with their middle name being P, just because I feel like that could be a bit. What is <laughs> what is your middle name? My middle initial is actually D, so... Okay, well, you're Jordan P. Anderson to me. Uh, you are one of the people I've known the longest that I've never actually met in person. We met on a game in 2004-ish, and we've been friends ever since, but we just are like internet friends, and I'm pretty sure that you exist in real life, and this isn't a simulation, but I can't prove it because I've never seen you in person. Uh, you're also one of the few people who understand my mindset as far as looking at the, the world objectively, which is the goal of this podcast, and um, you understand the disassociation, the disconnection, the being checked out sort of thing, the lights are on, but nobody's home. Those are all the analogies I can think of. Although you explained it in a different way. You said uh, much of life is an ad or a commercial that you feel like you want to skip, but you can't. Could you elaborate? Because I've gone ad nauseum in the podcast in the in the past about my thoughts on said thing. So go ahead and explain that. I, uh, I associate the sense of detachment with the world more like I would say more of a video game cutscene that you've already seen and you don't really want to experience it again. So you like just skip through it. Only real life you can't, so you kind of just tune it out. Sort of just going through the motions? Yeah. Autopilot? Yeah. See, a doctor would not take long before saying, oh yeah, that's textbook depression. But I have argued that it's not depression because depression could be a chemical imbalance. It could be just a, an extended sadness. But I don't think we're sad. I think we have this sort of, it could almost describe it as bitter, even though we're not bitter. It's just we, we don't approve of the way the world works the majority of the time as far as double standards and inconsistencies. What do you think? Am I wrong on that? Uh, it varies from day to day. I can definitely have the sense of detachment without describing myself as depressed. But I also, more often than not, do sense kind of a sadness. I think it's sad that with all the potential in life that there's room to feel like that for so many people. Obviously, we are not the only ones that feel that way. So I feel like that's sad, just looking at the greater picture, you know? Yeah, and for people who don't have any sort of depression or disassociation or anything like that, they, they're just always high on life. It's hard to articulate to them quite what that is like, but I used to tell people back in the day, like in our school, if you would turn in your homework 
on the day it was due, you could potentially get an A. Now, if you were to turn in your homework a day late, it was docked one letter grade for every day that you turned it in late. So you could get a B the next day at, at the best. And then the next day you could get a C. The way I told people was if you have depression or, you know, you're really not feeling this whole life thing, the best grade that you can give each day is like a C at best. You don't get to experience an A and it might not ever be an F, but it's just like a C is the usual for you. Does that sound accurate? Oh, yeah. I'm constantly looking at the things that I know I can do, but it's always pushed off till tomorrow or just given like a half-ass effort to say I did it, but not really doing it to the best of my abilities. And that's pretty much every aspect of life, whether it's anything from like paying the bills. I don't know how many times I paid the bills late just because I wasn't in the mood to like do it at that point and push it off and didn't do it or working on fitness or my diet. It's, it's pretty much everything, you know? Yeah. Managing the human emotion and the human mind is a balancing act. I find that the more you shut down and sort of put up the walls and go, okay, fine, I'm not going to give a fuck, the less you have a connection. But the less you have a connection, you can only maintain that for so long before you start to feel empty and the emptiness brings on sadness. So you got to try to be human again and feel, but then it's like a cycle because you're like, oh, feeling sucks. I'm not going to feel. And then you can only be so robotic. Like we, we are stuck being humans, like it or not, for better or worse. Yeah, I agree with that. Although... The longer I feel like this, the more I kind of ask what feeling human or being human is, you know? Yeah, it's pretty diverse. There's some fucking weirdos in this world. There are people, like I watched a video yesterday, I don't know if I sent it to you, but this guy was talking about how he's not interested in interacting with human women, which, I mean, a lot of guys feel that way. I, I can sympathize with that. But what he does is he lets insects and worms crawl all over him, and he's like, the way they touch you... It's not like the way a human touches you. And he's like, sometimes I'll put my penis in a jar of wet worms and they'll writhe around and slither around on my dong and it feels better than what any girl has done. Not that I think this guy has ever been with a girl, but I was just thinking, man, there's there's so many weirdos in this world. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm uh, going to have <laughs> to go to the bait shop a little later. And yeah, I was going to say, don't try this at home, but... Yeah, I don't want to put ideas into people's heads. Hey, maybe this is a cure to this detachment that we've been having, you know? <laughs> Stick your dong in some worms and... <laughs> yeah, for some reason, detachment sounds like it has a negative connotation with it. Uh, but to me, we're looking at the world not as optimists or pessimists, but as realists. Just really reacting to what it is. And I feel that's the healthiest mindset, although it is often... Uh, mistaken as being like negative or pessimistic. I, I've been accused of it many times. I'm sure you have too of like, oh, that guy's no fun. He's bitter. He's negative. He's pessimistic. But really, I'm I'm not letting emotions be, play a role in how I analyze things. I'm just looking at how it is. I feel like you've always been good at that. I've gone to you several times with questions about objectivity and logic rather than emotions. I definitely make it a point to be objective, but... I mean, you've known me long enough to know that I have two favorite sayings. One of them is the title of this podcast, Chess Not Checkers. Aye. And uh, the other thing that I've also liked to say through most of my adult life is, 
ignorance is bliss. So while I definitely strive to be a realist, I don't necessarily believe that that's the way to be happiest in life, you know? Yeah, I think the way to be happiest in life is to get the lucky roll of the dice that actually allows you to be happy. My mom asked me a long time ago, I don't know, this was like probably 10 years ago, she just messaged me because I didn't live with her at the time, and she messaged me out of nowhere, and, and the message just said, are you happy? Now, normally she would say, hey, Ben, hey, Benny, like, hey, son, whatever, like she would greet me. But it had been probably three weeks since I had heard from her, and she sent me a message, and there was no... Uh, salutations, no greeting, nothing. It just said, are you happy? And I thought that is very strange. And to be honest, I don't know how to answer that because I don't know what happiness is. I know what contentment is. I know that sometimes when I go to bed, I can say today wasn't a bad day. And I don't really have days where I hate life, but I've always been somewhere in between. I, the psychological term is manic for those who are consistently like, up and then down, roller coaster, happy, sad. I've never been that way. I've always been sort of flatline. So I said, I don't really know how to answer that. I mean, in short, no, I'm not happy. Never have been. But I'm not angry. I'm not sad. I'm just kind of, I just am. Do you relate to that at all? Yeah, I relate to that a lot. But um, I guess in a situation like that, and maybe this is just my own personal quirk, but... I guess I would be kind of curious as to what provokes that kind of text, you know, for somebody. Is that something going on in her life <laughs> or just something that you've done to send out that message? I mean, I'm not necessarily asking. Those are just the kind of thoughts I have in my head when somebody asks something that out of the blue, you know. To me, I took it as she didn't know how to articulate it, but she was just doing a mother son check in. Like, how you doing? That's maybe another way she could have asked it. Uh, when I was 19 or 20 years old, I did spend a couple of weeks up on the fourth floor. Uh, I was really struggling. My uh, best friend at the time, Scott, had just committed suicide. I had just gotten broken up with after a three-year relationship. Uh, my grandma was not well. I had not flunked out of college, but I dropped out because I just couldn't focus. It just It's hard to get up for things like that when so much thing like seems like everything just went wrong all at once and my 19 or 20 year old self it was an overload to the system i couldn't really handle it and i feel like now with the experience and wisdom that i have i could have i don't know put it together a little bit more uh like this is how life is but back then it just sort of short-circuited everything and i just couldn't finish school my best friend just committed suicide like i i was depressed because the girl that i loved had just broken up with me and three years is a long time when you're uh 19 20 years old it's like a sixth or a seventh of your life and there's somebody knocking right now it's got to be a trick-or-treater but i'm going to ignore that i did a pretty good job all night of having the lights off and ignoring trick-or-treaters uh, my cousin actually messaged me and she's like hey do you mind if i stop over i have the little ones maybe you could do you have some candy for them and i said uh what no why would i have <clears throat> uh, it, it i'm 30 years old and they still haven't figured out that I'm not really part of this system sort of thing. You know what I mean? We kind of spoke oh, on yeah. that earlier. Like you, I don't have my shit together in any facet of life. What makes you think that I would have woke up earlier today, went and got candy and prepared for people to knock on the door? Does that sound like an introvert to you? No, not really. 
Not that I, I'm an introvert. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Uh, I'm not an introvert or an extrovert. I'm just kind of, I can be both. But as far as something like that, that's a little extra for me. <laughs> I was just going to say that I actually got lucky on the trick-or-treaters this year. We had uh, the first snow of the year in Indiana, which caused them to bump trick-or-treat date in my town from today to Saturday. And I work Saturday, so. Nice. Yeah. Pretty, pretty happy about that. Not that I picture you being the type of guy to wake up and start feeling festive on Halloween. Like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm going to go buy some candy. I'm going to say hi to all the little runts in their little outfits and, you know. I actually like kids, and I was really arguing with myself over whether I wanted to hand out candy. But, I mean, it kind of comes back to the whole kind of lack of excitement in life. I want to hand out the candy, but you also have to, like, be excited for what the kids are wearing. And, you know, oh, that's so cool. And I didn't know if I could do that for two hours or whatever it was just kid after kid and yeah genuine i i agree i'm not a good liar i'm a terrible liar when i try to lie to somebody uh, i'm it's like an a a terrible actor trying to apply for a role i'm not getting the position Mm -hmm. it's just not going to happen and i can't even put on a poker face when a kid brings a shitty drawing like when a little kid brings say like a (laughs) five-year-old draws something and they bring it up and they're like look i drew a whale i have a really tough time going that's not a fucking whale. That looks like shit. You should be ashamed of yourself. I get it. They're five and six years old, but objectively, it's just not a good drawing. I can't pretend that it is even, you know, just like I can't pretend Santa's real, that sort of thing. So me and kids interacting, I don't talk to them like they're kids. I, I talk to them like they're on my level. I can't help it. Yeah, I can manage it for a couple of kids, but it's when you have to do the same line over and over and you feel like you rehearsed it. Yeah, you just have that like self-reflection, like, holy crap, I'm being incredibly fake right now. Yeah, um, there's a term in psychology. uh, It's called distinctive drift or instinctive drift, rather. And basically in the animal kingdom, it refers to animals reverting back to what they know as natural rather than anything that was forced learned. So like telling a dog to sit for example if he doesn't feel like sitting he might lie down it's a a instinctive drift and for humans it's more psychological we have a tough time being like putting on a facade being faux i think Mm -hmm. i use that word correctly faux meaning fake yeah and we'll revert back to what we just feel is natural and so that's how they catch like criminals a lot because they'll find those little glitches in the matrix where they revert back to their normal selves and uh, i think that would come out a lot when I'm trying to act happy that I'm handing out the candy that I want to eat to these little shits who don't, <laughs> who haven't even felt the tip of life's dick yet. So they're all happy and yeah, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I think that actually summarizes it pretty well. Yeah. Um, I just sound like a bitter, angry old man, but I swear I'm not. <laughs> it's just, it's just me. <laughs> I understand. Like I, I said it at the beginning, I like kids and I like to be nice to kids, but that, instinctive drift or whatever that sounds a lot like what's keeping me from doing it i can handle one-on-one but when it's kid after kid i don't know man it's the same way with coworkers, with people that you have to converse with the lady at the bank maybe she's being a cunt whatever like we we as humans 
we have opposable thumbs and we can build things and we have this language communication that's much more complex than what animals have. But ultimately, we're still animals at a DNA level. You know, we're, we're mammals and we revert back to these things sort of like when you have a an altercation with somebody at work. You can put on a, a polite face and, you know, try to adult for so long, but eventually you snap back to reality and then, oh, there goes gravity, you know, <laughs> Eminem reference. But you get the idea. Yeah. You know, I'm going to backtrack here a little bit. When you were describing your stay on the fourth floor, you said that you felt like you short-circuited. It's kind of, I don't know, you said that you would handle it better now, you think. And I almost wonder if that's not... I'm trying to think of how to describe it. Like, if you think about what causes a short circuit, usually it's like an electrical surge or overload of some sort, right? Yeah. Well, if you think about that in terms of emotions, wouldn't you say that it's just kind of a lack of overall emotions that keeps you from entering that feeling of short-circuiting, shutting down? Well, my theory on this has always been, and uh, I'm a people watcher, so I notice these things, whether it's uh, on social media in the past or if I just watch my parents or step-parents or uncle and aunt or whatever. I, I watch people. I like to read the room. I have a high IQ as far as socially. I might not be able to have a 300 IQ from an IQ test, but I socially like to think that I'm pretty aware. And my theory on this is... Most people, the average person, goes into life starting as an optimist, and then you are slowly beat down, and you can even become a pessimist. Or you can take the fork in the road the other way and become a realist, where you really realize that emotions, for the most part, are fake. We can get into that after we uh, go through this little section here, but I think I just, I wasn't prepared for so much bad shit to happen. I hadn't realized at that young of an age how shitty life can be and the buddhists they have this saying that goes to live is to suffer all life is is suffering basically and as a kid you go yeah right life's fucking awesome and then as an adult you go fucking a they nailed it you know and i think that was the beginning of a transition for me i was overloaded because i had high hopes and things were going all right and then all of a sudden nothing was good just that it was like a switch there was no real time to take it all in. Whereas now, uh, I don't know if you'd call it tough skin or what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You can use whatever analogy you want. But now I've seen enough negativity in the world and enough bad things that I'd be able to write it off as, oh, it's just more bad shit rather than, whoa, this changed my whole life. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Although I would kind of, um, I would compare it more to having a vaccination than anything you've been exposed to it and now it doesn't make you sick i guess that's how i interpret that the immune system analogy is is a common one as far as heartbreak and uh dealing with emotions and whatnot i, I know what you're saying like uh once you get your your heart exposed to a little bit of pain it's more pain resistant is that what you're saying yeah and i agree with that I mean, I agree with all of that, but I guess that comes back to what I originally said 
very beginning of the podcast when you asked me if I thought that it was sadness. That's where the sadness kind of comes into play for me is because I think about it and I have that sort of resistance to it. But at the same time, I look at what could be if it weren't there. And that's where the sadness comes from because I see the potential, I guess. I'm sorry yeah. if I'm not uh, adequately putting into words here. Well, I know you're smart enough that it doesn't matter how you articulate things. I, I know what you're saying, and you speak yeah. my language. So I, I get what you're saying. I used to think that. And then one uh, quick intro to a Sons of Anarchy episode changed all of that, believe it or not. Um, they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, Jax was... He was doing a monologue in the beginning of an episode, and if you haven't seen that, that's one of the best shows. I recommend it. But he said, uh, as he's riding his motorcycle, you know, they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I disagree. I think what doesn't kill you is trying to hurt you, and it makes you feel weak and sad. What makes you stronger is love, connections, friendship, you, you know, experiencing life. So basically he was saying all these positive things are what reinforce a person to be, you know, strong and good-hearted and good-natured and whatnot, and the things that try to hurt you and harm you and make you sad, they weaken you, in a sense. And I think that that's true, at least partially true, because each person has a cup, an empty cup. Or you could say it's full of happiness, and every time something bad happens, a little bit spills out. You can use whatever analogy you want. Let's say there's an empty cup, and this empty cup represents the amount of bullshit that a person is willing to take in life before that person just goes, okay, fuck it, I'm out, logs out, checks out, whichever way you want to phrase it. And I've seen it happen. My uncle used to have everything going for him. He had his own business. He was doing well. He had horses, a, a house in the country with a giant shed. He had a, his, you know, like I said, his own business, a bunch of trucks. And then just his son passed away, broke his heart. He had gone through a couple divorces uh, broke his heart individually. I mean, women can do that to a man. They change you. They really change the way your brain fires. After oh, a breakup, you're never the same. And so it's just a little bit at a time. It just his cup was filled with bullshit. And eventually, there was just no more room. He he did his best to to stay present and be with us, so to speak. But my uncle, he, he died. He's still alive, but he's a shell of his former self. You can see it in his eyes. The lights are on, but nobody's home. Like, he reached his tipping point. He's like, okay, life has hurt me and fucked me over so much that, like, I don't know if it's a defense mechanism, but he's checked out. And I feel like we can all relate to that, if not fully, at least partially. Like, enough dumb, unnecessary, stupid things have happened to me that are unfair. It's getting to the point where I just don't care anymore. Well, pretty soon, you won't even have the presence of mind to say... I don't care anymore. You just won't care anymore because it's like your give a fuck finally breaks the straw that broke the camel's back. Any of that makes sense to you or, or do you agree? Yeah, I agree with most of that. Um, I've obviously, both of us have already mentioned more of the latter half of that with kind of reaching your point on the bullshit, but I kind of like the sons of anarchy quote that you gave though. Because it puts into perspective when I think about my own life. Like, I've already said that I'll let things go far too long or do them poorly, whether it's bills or whatever. And, uh, but 
having the positivity in your life, I really, I will go above and beyond for the people that are good to me, like more so than I will myself. Correct. So I really, really like that quote. Well, it's it's true, and uh, I did I did a disservice by paraphrasing it. If you want, it's on YouTube, and it's much more elaborate, and it's longer than that. But I gave you the meat and potatoes of it, and it's definitely true. Uh, having that sort of source of positivity that's always there keeps somewhat of a light shining in life, whereas without that, uh, it can get pretty dark, pretty gloomy, pretty melancholy, pretty morose. Use whatever term you want, but they all essentially say the same thing. That can come in the form of a friend, a family member, a hobby, a passion, anything that makes you wake up and go, at least part of today, I'm looking forward to. And for a lot of people, I feel like they don't even have a part of their day where they wake up and they're excited for. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm into this show that I'm watching. I'm into this game that I'm playing. So at the very least, I can wake up and just chill and enjoy my day with those things. I, I like coffee. There are there, I just... You know, if I were to focus on the, the counting my blessings, there are a lot of things that I wake up and look forward to each day. Now, it just so happens that there are also a lot of things that I wake up and I hate each day. So it's a balancing act. It's tough to focus on just one or the other, but I think that that's a healthy balance. I agree with that. Um, what What would you say would tip the balance in a positive way for you? The main thing for me is just being in chronic pain and the fact that it's been going on since I was 21 years old. That was the initial time that I hurt my back. And it's I have not had one day since I was 21 years old that I haven't felt it's, it's like a pinching, burning lower back pain, which causes stiffness because I'm favoring it. And then the stiffness causes more pain. So every day... Uh, I never thought I'd say this when I was 30, but every day, the first thing that I do is lay out the yoga mat and stretch. And I don't do that because I want to. It's fucking boring. Stretching is boring. I do it because it's the only way that I have a decent range of motion throughout the day. Otherwise, I'm this stiff 90-year-old looking dude, and uh, it just it's not good. Then I ice, and I go through these things each day. And I was once told that every man can be broken with cardio. Like every man that thinks he's tough, every man that thinks he's a killer, a badass, a strong guy, if you just make him run, like on, on foot, if you make a man run, eventually he's going to want to quit. And if you were to make him keep running, like gun to his head, you keep running and if you stop, I'm going to shoot you, he'll eventually be broken. doesn't matter how strong-willed he is, eventually cardio breaks everybody. And that's why it's tough to be in good shape, cardiovascular, you know, speaking in that sense. But I have found... That chronic pain breaks you. There are some days that even if I have a good day, like I can have an imaginary blowjob or something, I can have a good day, but it's just that pain never goes away. Imagine having like a broken bone that you never got fixed. That's essentially what I've got going on. I had a disectomy for a bulging and herniated pair of discs, but I'm actually worse now. It's just constant pain uh, makes it where some days I have some pretty dark thoughts that I don't share with the world. And without that pain being there, it would really open up. Uh, I would almost feel like I've been given a new life, like opportunities, because it definitely holds me back from working, from 
uh, I don't sit very long. I don't stand still very long. If I do the dishes, it takes about 45 minutes. My back is just on fire by the time I'm done because I'm standing there awkwardly bending over the sink. And it's just, unless you've experienced it, it's hard to explain. Because I know there's a difference between griping and just a little bit of like, oh, my arm kind of hurts. I know that. I've had nine surgeries. I know the difference between real legit pain and then just somebody bitching because they're slightly uncomfortable. And uh, I I don't wish it on people because it's awful. It's like a, a little version of hell. But I do wish people could just experience it for like an hour so that they could, you know, understand if that makes sense. It does. I mean, I have chronic pain as well. Not near to the extent you do, but I have things that keep me from doing what I want to do. Um, so on a very small scale, I can relate to that. I guess yeah. I wonder, having known you for a while, though, and it's kind of in the theme of what we've been discussing so far, do you think that having that kind of beaten down mentality from it dealing with this day after day maybe has ruled out some possible solutions like maybe you've just accepted it and stopped pursuing things that might actually make it better not necessarily another surgery because personally i don't believe a whole lot in back surgery i don't know too many people that have actually improved after having had back surgery but yeah yeah. uh not too many people benefit from it they told me when they were talking about it with me they said about 20 percent of people report that they're better uh 80 percent report that they're either the same or worse uh i i feel like that's not good odds and i thought to myself well i'm already in pain like what's at worst case scenario, I'm still going to be in pain. I might as well try. And I actually asked for a surgery right when it happened. My back was super fucked up and they were like, you're 21. We're not going to do a back surgery. You're too young. That's, that's stupid. And looking back, yeah, maybe it was too young. So I went through the motions. I did the chiropractor thing. I've gone to a chiropractor, various chiropractors. I don't know, a hundred million times. I've done physical therapy. I've done yoga. I've done icing, I've done heat pack, I've done stretching, I've had two cortisone uh, injections. I think it's cortisone. Maybe that's not right. Cortisol? It's one of those. Uh, I've had the surgery. I've, you know, I've been through the mill. I've done everything except for try that inversion table, which I've heard good things about. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I've I've done it all. What more can there be besides like stem cell injections that cost a million dollars? Are those actually a thing? What a real treatment now? Yeah, uh, Rogan, Joe Rogan, has been uh, pushing it. Except he goes to Germany because it's not a thing in America yet. But he went to Germany and he said he couldn't even lift up his left arm. His shoulder was so fucked up from doing jujitsu and striking that he couldn't even lift things. Couldn't even carry his kid or whatever. And then he went and got stem cells, and now he's back on the test and he's just an ape, lifting weights, kicking, punching. Yeah, he said it. It's like brand new. Damn, how long ago was that? Oh, probably a year ish. I'm behind on shit, man. Well, yeah, it's it's. I don't even think it's legal in America yet. He went to uh, Germany, and then one of his friends went to like the Dominican Republic. But yeah, the, everybody that has had it, 
I guess if you can afford stem cells, it's worth a try. If you're already, you know, that far gone physically, might as well try. Yeah. So we talked about depression and disconnection and detachment, but what about anxiety? Uh, as for myself, I don't experience anxiety. I can't relate to it. I don't have social anxiety, which is actually the most common form of anxiety. It's actually one of the things that people try to collect disability for. I, When I was filling out my disability form for my back, I was looking at all of the things. There's six pages of like size 12 times new Roman single spaced font reasons why people try to collect disability. And one of them, I thought I laughed. It said social anxiety. People that are so afraid of being around other people that they can't go to work. And I thought to myself, that sounds like hell. That sounds like your own little version of hell. You can't even like look out the window. You're so scared. And so since that's the most common form of anxiety, I can't relate. I can walk into a room, do some public speaking. Uh, I've made videos. I, you know, I have no problem being in front of people or conversing with people. Uh, Do you ever have any forms of anxiety like where you're constantly like recounting your money to make sure that you brought enough because it would be embarrassing if you went to pay and you didn't have enough money or, you know, there's just a bunch of different things that people describe when they talk about their in, uh, anxiety. Um, yeah, I'm a pretty anxious person, actually. The money thing that you just use as an example, that's a thing. That was a very um, specific one. <laughs> that's yeah, that that's just one of the things that people one. share. That I do a lot. I'll like, check it three times if the cashier takes more than two minutes to get to me. Um, social anxiety. I have it, but I don't. I'm definitely, I'm a poor verbal speaker as opposed to like accurately and articulately expressing my thoughts. But I say that more than anything, my anxiety stems from the fact that most of my opinions aren't either acceptable or PC culture enough, and I don't want to deal with the backlash that happens from speaking my mind. At least not to people who I don't know well enough. Like with you, you already know well enough that I'll say whatever the hell I want. But in a social setting or even with some coworkers, I kind of have to, you know, make sure that I'm not going to step on thin ice with stuff. And I, th- I would say that that's the main cause of social anxiety for me. And that social anxiety has kind of branched into, I guess, the other forms of anxiety, just like general apprehension for my day even when it hasn't started yet and the kind of compulsive need to like try and foresee every situation that'll come up before it come up most of which don't even come up in the like in the end but uh, i guess yeah, that's, that's actually very common uh, are you one of those people who has imaginary arguments in the shower Ooh, shower, way to work. Anytime right now, there's a quiet moment. Even when I'm talking to other people, man. Yeah, uh, that's not really anxiety. I feel like that's more of a being a perfectionist and trying to be overprepared for just in case. I've I've done that. 
I don't, I don't think that's anxiety where you think about if I were to run into this person at Walmart, I'm going to say this and this, and then they're going to say this, but I already got something prepared for when they say that, you know, uh, I feel like living as if you're worried about tomorrow and you're sad about yesterday means you will never be like able to be fully present because the way I heard, heard it best put, this guy said, just wherever you're at right now, whether you're on the road whether you're taking a dump, whether you're playing a game, just right now, just look around. You're not in any danger. No one's trying to hurt you. No one's insulting you. Like he just said, if you, if you just look around and you go right now, I'm fine. That will eliminate a ton of anxiety because people are constantly worried about being judged, about uh, make sure your doors are locked so killers don't come in and stab you. You know, the people have all these anxieties. And uh, he said, if you just look, look around you're fine. Now you might be sad about something that happened in the past. Time heals all wounds and you might be slightly nervous or anxious about something that's going to happen, but that's not happening right now. Cross that bridge when you come to it. Does that sound like good advice? I think that was great advice from that dude, whoever he was. It's certainly applicable, but at times I also feel like there are genuine things to be anxious about. I I told you recently that I work with a very vindictive woman that I wasn't even speaking to tried to get me fired for stalking her. You know what I mean? So I can't sit here and say that nobody's out to get me when somebody tried to impact my livelihood, you know? Yeah, I feel like the better, more accurate term for that would probably be stress. She was stressing you out and... um not the first woman to do that to the, you know, you're not, you're not the first <laughs> no. man to experience stress from a woman, not to, uh, undermine. It was definitely a real situation for those of you who don't know. Uh, this girl liked Jordan and Jordan wasn't sure, but he might've liked this girl. And then all of a sudden a switch flipped and she just became like this crazy psycho and was like, you're stalking me. And yeah, uh, hard to deal with, I would imagine. Well, shoot, it wasn't even, the switch didn't even flip that fast. There was kind of like a smaller switch that flipped where I was like, all right, the interest is gone. And I just avoided her for like, I don't know, several months. And it like got to her to the point where, oh, we need to get him fired. That's so weird to me. I don't understand it, man. Not a single word was said to her in that time period. And I'm a stalker. If I tried to get every single girl who wasn't interested in me fired. <laughs> oh, man. No. None of <laughs> There'd be, like, <laughs> no girl with a job right now. <laughs> that's just how it is. I hear you, man. That's, I can't even begin to understand the thought process behind that. I'm the type of person where if it's something that I identify as a negative in my life, I just try to avoid it. But... Teach their own, I guess. Yeah. Uh, if you start trying to mess with my livelihood, though, like I'm not a good enemy to have. I'm a, I'm a better friend to have, and it's a much better decision. It it might seem like I'm just this quiet, live and let live sort of dude, but I disagree. I say do not live and let live. Don't let people believe whatever the fuck they want, because eventually if you just let people go free, you're going to end up with people saying that a man flirting with you is rape 
there are 76 genders. I can be whatever age I want. Uh, if, if you just let people do whatever they want, which is, you know, sort of a, a mindset more common on the left, live and let live, let people do or think whatever they want. That's dangerous. I feel like you got to put a stop to it. And so for this girl in particular, I don't know what the best course of action would have been because as far as going to management and as far as making it a legal thing, it's almost always going to be on the female side as double standardish as that is. Oh yes. And it is my plant manager more or less said that I was in the right and told me that things were going to change. Nothing has changed at this point. I'm watching her do pretty much all the things that I pointed out to him that made her a shitty employee when she tried calling me out. And all of those still perfectly fine. All the blatant rules in our handbook that she breaks, safety rules like tucking your shirt in, she has an Apple Watch and AirPods or whatever the expensive earphones that you have. She has those in every day. And we're not supposed to have jewelry, and we're supposed to have, like, actual soundproofing, like, earplugs or earmuffs or, you know, things that have actual decibel reduction and not just putting music directly into your eardrum. And all of those are still fine. Well, uh, I I haven't seen her. But I'm assuming since you at one point were considering being interested in her, she's semi-attractive. And if that's the case, yeah, you have no chance. It doesn't matter how much <laughs> facial hair you've grown over the years uh, as, as man makeup, as you referred to it. You're not going to <laughs> have the same swing that she is. Oh, uh, trust me, I'm aware. Ah, uh, good. So, anxiety, uh, I think we covered that pretty well. I did actually have one specific moment of like really high anxiety last night. And it was because I was being my usual manly self, you know, had a glass of wine, wanted some me time. So I took a hot shower and I showered with the bathroom door open. So I'm home alone and I just, I didn't have the bathroom light on. I had the hallway light on. So it was dark in the bathroom, kind of just like dimly lit. And I hear this loud knock on the door, like boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm wine drunk. I'm naked. I didn't bring any clothes or a towel in. I just hopped in the shower. So the only way out is to walk out naked and girth is freaking out barking. And I was like, Oh no, like who's here. It's 1030 at night. That's too late for any normal person to be stopping by. I was like, what's the problem? That was high anxiety there because I'm like, I'm naked. I drank a bunch of wine. I'm in the shower. I got soap in my eyes. And I kept like wiping the soap out of my eyes and looking in the hallway, like expecting someone to be coming at me with a knife. By the way, if you're going to try to kill me when I'm naked and soapy is the worst time. I'm going to be the most dangerous. I'm going to be slippery and I'm coming at you and I don't care if you see my 12 incher or not. New season of Naked and Afraid sounding pretty good. Yeah, I'm the commercial for that. It's just me showering. (laughs) Definitely have to get the camera from behind, though, because I am not, like, I'm more proud of my chiseled butt and nice back than I am of my beer gut and my small wiener. So you're going to have to only film from the back. I feel like that's a pretty fair request, honestly. Yeah. A little bit more PG-13. So it's Halloween. I want to get your thought and pick your brain a little bit on 
what Halloween used to be like compared to what it is now. I've always seen it the same way. It's kids getting candy, which is the innocent side of it. But as once you reach like high school and above, here's what it is. Girls, especially because guys don't give a fuck. Girls can't wait for Halloween. It's the only time when they can dress like a slut and claim I'm not dressed like a slut because I'm a slut. It's because it's Halloween and it's what me and my friends do. We like to dress like this on Halloween. So first of all, I don't care what holiday it is. If you dress like a hooker, you're a hooker. It's not rocket science. Like a girl who has respect for herself, they're not going to dress that way and be like, oh, my tits are out and my ass cheeks are hanging out because it's Halloween. Halloween's supposed to be scary. Yet somehow over the years, they turned it into slutty. And most outfits are a slutty ketchup bottle or a slutty refrigerator or a slutty doctor or a slutty bee or a spider. Like everything that these young provocative girls dress as is slutty and then insert here. Like, why can't you just be scary? Why can't you have fun? You know, like we had a girl who dressed as a ketchup bottle in high school and she had her boobs almost more out than than in. And she's like, I'm a slutty ketchup bottle. And I was like, what the fuck even is what is that? Like, you, you can literally make even an inanimate object slutty. Does that make sense to you? Oh, I would argue that that is, in fact, terrifying because this is the majority of our younger female population that is like this. So if you're a single guy looking for a meaningful relationship, I think it's pretty terrifying. Well, picture like back in the old days with our grandparents and our our parents, like it wasn't that way. Women didn't women didn't walk around with almost nothing on and go. I'm a slutty spider. People would have been like, what? They would have like been on the, the, in the mental hospital. She thinks she's a slutty spider. We, we need to have a few tests run. But now it's just the norm. And my only question to those girls who think that it's acceptable to dress like a whore on Halloween is just, how much? Oh, yeah. Live and let live. It's cool that you're dressed like a slut. But how much? How much for the fuck? Because you're dressed like a hooker. That's my thought. What do you think? I mean, I also would like to know how much for some of them. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I am a straight man, so there's yeah. no to how upset I can be about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's but. it's it's walking a tightrope, isn't it? There's a fine line between like wanting a girl to have some respect for herself and command the sort of respect that they all claim they want, but then it's a double standard. Like, I want to see your boobs, yes, but just not in that stupid ketchup bottle costume you made. What is a slutty ketchup bottle? Seriously. It still bothers me, and that was in high school. Like, you can literally take the innocence of my favorite condiment, and it just bugs me. Was it at least Heinz? Yes. Thank God. But she's got standards. Yeah, and spoiler alert, the, the ketchup bottle costume doesn't come that way. She took a scissors or a carpenter knife or something, <laughs> and she cut the tits out of she's like i really got to show these off and for some reason they think that just because it's halloween we're not going to judge them you know what if if you're willing to dress like a slut a slutty ketchup bottle you're not a slutty ketchup bottle you're just a ketchup bottle because you were already a slut that's how i see it that's pretty amazing i'm not gonna lie that might have made my halloween night just thinking about a slutty ketchup bottle well, she is hot as balls. She was like the second hottest chick in the grade. So the whole time I was that guy who was like doing the the 5,000 yard stare <clears throat> from across the house. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it's just 
it bothered me, but it also like didn't bother my wiener. So we were like having this back and forth dialogue. Like she looks pretty good. I'm like, yeah, but like, what the fuck? Cover those up. Yeah, but why? That's so gay of you. You know, it was like this back and forth dialogue. And the the biggest problem for me is the double standard. Like these ladies claim, especially in the the time that we are in now societally, uh, there's so much quote unquote unwanted attention from these patriarchy, like these mascu- uh, toxic masculinity, these men. And it's like, ladies, if the attention is unwanted, lots of guys stare at you. They try to fuck you. And you don't like it? Good news. I mean, we can diagnose that at least, at the very least, you're not a slut. If you don't want attention from guys, you're not a slut. It's in our DNA to look at you if you're semi-attractive. And women know when they're semi-attractive. They walk around like they're in a parade. They walk into the room, and unfortunately, for those who don't want the attention, if you're remotely attractive, you are going to be the center of attention if you walk into a room of guys. We will automatically notice you. We might not say it, but we will all be thinking the same thing. And that's, I want to put my wiener in that. We can't help it. It's not because we're pigs. It's not because it's toxic. It's because that's what men are designed to do. We see someone we find attractive. We want to put our wieners in them. It has gotten to the point where, in some cases, that's another dude. If you're gay, that's cool. No hate. Less competition for me, right? And so if you're an attractive lady and you don't want this attention, definitely don't dress slutty on Halloween. Because it's not rocket science. If you don't want attention, don't dress like you want attention. So for these girls who walk around with uh, their tits hanging out of a ketchup bottle, which is just so weird, and your ass hanging out, you can't tell us that you don't want to be looked at. Otherwise, you wouldn't dress like that. Is It's as simple as that. It's no more complex. Does anybody disagree? I don't disagree. Um I really don't have anything to add to that. That sums it up pretty damn well. I guess the only thing I would add is that... I wouldn't say that everyone wants to stick their wiener in them. I do. But that that's also kind of my biased view. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a straight man and I like the show, but I'm not... It takes a lot for me to actually want to do... The sexual activity, because I know that it usually comes with baggage that I'm kind of been trained to not want. That's because you're an objective thinker. You're thinking ahead and you're like, yeah, it would be nice to bang her, but she could be crazy. She could be a bitch. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish I thought that way. I could (laughs) I could be at Walmart or at wherever. And if if this 10 walks in, I don't care if she insults my ancestors. I'll be like, yeah, they suck. Let's go in the bathroom. You know, like my wiener wants you more than my brain does. And uh, I feel like that's why I could pull off a relationship that is mostly physical and not too much of an emotional connection. But I could also pull off a relationship that's mostly emotional and not too physical. Ideally, you want both. But I feel like it wouldn't be that bad if you just had a fuck buddy that you were cool with. Like, yeah, let's go do it. Want to cuddle? Nah, me either. Good night. You know, like, that wouldn't be too terrible, would it? No, not really. Like Joe Rogan says, it's so weird that we can pay to have people give us massages. We can pay to have people give us therapy where we spill out our emotions and they like they get a, get to know us intimately, but we can't pay for sex. Like it's just a massage on your wiener using your vagina or your butt if you're gay, you know, that sort of thing. I think that's weird too. When you put it like that, it is kind of strange. 
Isn't there a place in Arizona that you can, like a, oh, what's it called, a bunny ranch or something? A brothel? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, there's one for sure in Nevada. Uh, I don't know. Nevada? Yeah, I forget the name of the guy, but he has a podcast with one of the UFC fighters. They do one together. It's called Phone Booth Fighting, and he owns the brothel. And it's like a legal way. You walk in, the ladies all line up, and you go, okay, I like that one. And then you, it's all like done ahead of time. All the paperwork, all the paying, it's like very professional. He explained it in depth one time. He's like, so you walk in, you go, okay, I want her. All right, so she steps forward. What do you want to do with her? You just want to hang out, you want to talk, that's this much. You want a blowjob, that's this much. You want to stick it in her butt, that's this much. Like you, you basically, it's like ordering a sub sandwich. You put a check mark by all the things you want. I want the lettuce, I want the tomato. I definitely want the the fucking anal, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I mean, money is meant to get what you want in life, isn't it? Yeah. Speaking of getting what you want in life, give me your thoughts on white privilege. I know we've all been accused of it. We all, meaning <clears throat> us white people, we've all been accused of somehow having, being able to play this game of life on easy mode because we have more... Uh, less pigment in our skin. Uh, what do you think of that? Well, I'm still waiting on my check to justify that the college grants that I wasn't eligible for and the workplace favoritism that I'm not eligible for. So I so what you're saying it. is you're not getting better treatment because you're white? Not yet, but I'm sure the check's in the mail. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, that's an insane concept to me. How has life not been fucking amazing just because you're a white male? You know, I've been asking myself the same thing, but I think it's because that with my uh, reddish hair and the skin tone to match, people forget that I'm actually white. And oh, I yeah. think that I'm actually, you know, African in nature. But Well, that's because they see that giant bulge in your pants. Yeah, that's probably it. So I'm sure that the paperwork's just clearing to let them know that I am, in fact, white. You're an <clears throat> albino black man. I get it. <laughs> that's it, man. Fair enough. Yeah, um, you, you can't really look at just percentages because percentages can be skewed. You have to look at the flat-out numbers. More white people are killed by police every year and have been in all of human history than black people are, but you never hear that in the news. You never hear, oh, there's too much police brutality on whites. The higher percentage, sure, but there's also a higher percentage of dark-skinned fellas that are committing these crimes, which bring them into altercations with police. So, of course, there's going to be a higher percentage of, of brutality and, and disagreements and altercations and fights. But as far as straight numbers, nobody commits suicide more than whites. Nobody gets assaulted. Nobody gets murdered. Nobody is anything more than white people, yet... Uh, they, these people who, who want their narrative to be pushed a certain way, they won't look at the numbers. They'll look at the percentages, the per capita. They'll go, well, there was 10 black guys and eight of them are in prison. Well, that's because eight of those fucking black guys did a crime that put them in prison. So if one out of 10 white guys are in prison, well, at a certain time period, there was a lot more white people. That's starting to not be the case anymore. But we can't look at percentages. We have to look at objectively, which we like to do, just how it is, right? Yeah, I've always liked ratios more than strict percentages. Like if one in, or if, like, I guess a percentage works here. 
I'm struggling to put it into words, man. No, I, I get it. I think I know where you were going with that. It just, what matters is how it is, not the, the way it looks. Because if you were to look at everything in life on a bar graph, it, you might not get all the details that you need to form a, a, a fair and proper opinion. Yeah. There are black-only colleges where like, only black people can get grants and scholarships. Imagine the outrage if there was a college that only white people were allowed to attend or, or get a grant or a scholarship from. There is black entertainment television. Imagine if we had white TV, the outrage. People would be like, oh, the white male, the cisgender white male patriarchy, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm so sick of people talking even with that language, that vernacular, where everybody is a victim. It's so annoying. Yeah, when I start hearing pretty much anything that's labeled as PC culture, I just tune it out or laugh at them. Oh, you know who the real victims are? Are good guys who don't get uh, attention from women. And I am speaking on, by, on behalf of many, many good dudes who just don't get, like, it's, it sounds cliche, but nice guys finish last. And that is the case. Like, girls want a bad guy. And I listened to a doctor, a uh, psychologist, call him what you will, on Rogan's podcast talking about how uh, there's actual provable truth to that. And the way it basically goes is on a DNA level, women want a guy who is like that picture-perfect husband. Hey, honey, I'm home. You know, they want that guy to be married to. They want that guy as a partner because that's a higher quality person. But when it comes to actually getting dicked down, they want that grubby, dirty guy that shows up and he hasn't bathed recently and he's wearing a leather jacket and he looks like he's well-muscled and he's just a badass. Like, uh, I don't know how to explain it and articulate it quite the way the good doctor did, but essentially, the less, for lack of a better term, the lesser standards you might have, but the more like rugged and, and sort of that way you are, you're way more likely to have women want to go home with you than a guy who walks in you know, and he's that clean cut guy. Do you, uh, do you notice that in your everyday life, whether it's people, you know, or have seen, I do. Um, I don't really see too many women getting married to the good guy, as you say, but we don't really have, I'm from a very, well, you're from a very small town as well, but in my particular small town, there aren't really too many good guys or good women, so I'm really unable to give a personal, like, from what I've experienced or seen. But yeah. they definitely do seem to be more attracted to the outright screw-ups than the guys yeah. who somewhat have their shit together, I guess. Yeah, that's uh that's probably a better way of putting it more the for the lay person in layman terms. Uh yeah. what I've noticed is it's just like they warned you about stereotypically all of the dudes who were like these badass like football player dudes cuz I went to two different schools, one in a town where the population was 500, so we had like 26 people in our entire graduating class. Basically one classroom of kids was an entire grade graduation. Uh and then I went to a a school that was not big in relative terms to every other school in the world, but big compared to the other one where I had 220 some. So it was way more people. It was way more clicky. And so what I've noticed was 
the dudes who were like the badasses and smoking weed and the rough, tough guys that were in high school, they're not faring so well now in 2019. Time has not been good to them. Whereas the nerdy dudes who got an A in chemistry and an A in physics and they graduated college, like life is pretty fucking, life rips for those guys right now. And all of the hot chicks ended up with those nerds that they didn't give any attention to in high school. That's, it, that's, it's almost like it was a prophecy because you see that on in movies and in shows like haven't seen you in high school. Wow, you look really good. And the girl that they never got to bang in high school wants them all of a sudden. That shit is true. There's a reason why they made that a narrative in movies and shows. Except now they're fat. Yeah, in some <laughs> cases, for sure. Uh, I used to not necessarily be nervous because I've always had this air of confidence, whether it was justified or not, as far as speaking with women. Because I, I just I have a grip on psychology that allows me to not necessarily be one step ahead, but to just never be in a position where I'm like, uh, I don't uh, know what to say. You know, I, I'm just comfortable, I guess is the right word. And when I would get around the more attractive girls in my grade, that would sort of falter a little bit. I'd, I'd be like, uh, come on, Ben, like you got this. And now those same girls, I see what they look like. They're 30 now. They've had a few kids. They've gone through a few divorces. Life has beaten them down. Now they're not intimidating at all. I could walk right up to them and smack them on the butt and be like, hey, babe, how's it going? You know, it's like I feel like the um, level of female that you're up against, it's almost like a fight, even though there's no fighting. I don't know what better analogy to use. But like it's not very intimidating when a girl is not super attractive. Is that the case for you, too? Like you'd be more comfortable talking to a 300-pound girl than you would to some 10? Because there's no pressure to, like, not mess up because you know you don't want to bang them anyway. And even if that wasn't the case, is that how it is for you? I feel like it's less fruitful to try and talk to the 10 because even if I'm not trying to bang them, the assumption is going to be there. So if they're not, like, outright interested in it, and like I said earlier... Typically, I'm not trying to get in anybody's pants from the get-go. It's not until after I like them as a person that I start to develop that interest. So I don't really like having that label applied, so I'm definitely less likely to try and talk to the 10 as opposed to somebody who is significantly less attractive. You are a gentleman and a scholar. That's what it is. Most guys would not have that answer. And I believe you. I don't think that you're just saying that. I believe that you actually do have uh, slightly higher standards, for lack of a better term. And I I feel like most guys, if they tried pulling that shit, I'd be like, shut up, dude. You know you want to just do dude things to that non-dude person. But I believe you. I believe that you have these uh, morals, I guess, is the better term. Well, I wouldn't say it's necessarily morals so much because, for me, they both both have to be there. Physical attraction and attraction to personality. So I've had, since I'm more likely to talk to the larger or less attractive women, I've had multiple women who have developed an interest in me. And it's just not reciprocated because I don't find them physically attractive. So oh. I can't like say that I'm some kind of saint where if I like you as a person, then we can get it on. If, yeah, that's I've fair. Gotta, I've got to like how you look too, but I'm not going to outright talk to you first simply to try and get into your pants. Yeah, that's actually, uh, I, I like that because growing up, that happened to me at least a dozen times where emotionally and mentally there was an attraction to these girls, but physically 
to put it lightly and unlike on their scale when they step onto it to put it lightly the physical attraction just wasn't there and uh like i worked with this one girl and uh i won't say where and i won't say who because i don't want to hurt any feelings but i liked her a lot she was like my best female friend at the time and she developed more than friend feelings uh and i that just wasn't there for me it never would have been like even without drinking, I would have had whiskey dick around her because it just physically wasn't there. But emotionally and, and mentally, I really liked her. So it was kind of a one of life's missed opportunities, I guess, for both of us. Yeah, I've been in similar situations. Usually I'll try to encourage them to get into like fitness or something with me because I'm always going <laughs> in and out of the... <laughs> As you can imagine, that typically doesn't go over that great, but... Hey, Pete, Bertha, tried, right? come to the gym with me. Let's do some squats. Oh, no reason. No, no, no. It's just what I do anyway. I don't, I'm not trying to make your butt look better. No. I just need a partner, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Too much. Um, they say that one of the things that you're supposed to do is take a girl swimming on like a first date. That way, if uh, she is caked in makeup, you get to see what she really looks like. And That's I think, genius. oh, it is genius. Yeah. But uh, there has been some backlash on that like it's been discussed in, in the media and on social medias and then women of course they're defensive they'll go yeah well you should always have a guy shave because you think you went on a date with thor and then when he shaves he's Wee herman you know and it's like well no one of these is natural hair that grows and one of these you painted a new face on your face i really one of the many double standards it's true I, right i was going to say i was going to ask you if you knew what doesn't wash off and I was going to follow up with facial hair after <laughs> that's about <laughs> right. The conversation earlier. It's so true. <laughs> um, recently as in like not quite a week ago, I think I told you this story about this young man and his girlfriend and uh, yeah, I did tell you about this, but for those who haven't heard, um, let's see, how do I start this? No girls really give me the time of day anymore. And it's funny because it happened at exactly the same time as I stopped caring about girls giving me the time of day. See, back in the day, if I wanted it to be, I could have had a different girl or the same girl or whatever, a combination of both, in my bed each night. That was a combination of being younger, having more options, uh, being better looking, better in shape. Like there, A lot of things, the stars were aligned and I was about a hundred times more studly in my early twenties and late teens than I am now. Now I'm kind of a dork, but then I got to the point where I was like, uh, and I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, the juice just isn't worth the squeeze anymore. And it seems like women want you to go through this, uh, extreme amount of, of effort, like extra to make them feel special, whether that's something missing in their own life or what, just so that you can be with them, so to speak. And, um, nowadays, Women don't even fucking look at me. Like, I remember one time I mowed the lawn this summer and a couple of young girls were walking by and I had my shirt off because I was trying to catch some some sun. And I'm a people watcher, so I'm noticing them. I'm, and one of them was pretty, so I was checking her out. And they looked over at me once, like one glance, like, oh, there's a person. And then they just went back to talking and walking. And I was waiting. I was like, she'll get another look. She liked what she saw. She'll look again. And they never fucking did. And I was like, oh, shit. And that was a big uh, sort of epiphany for me. I realized at that point, like, because back in the day, I would have gotten multiple looks. 
they would have been like, oh, yeah. And now what they looked over and saw was a balding fat dude mowing his lawn. And there's a million of those in this town, in this state, in this world. So when I realized then, well, I'm really nothing special anymore. Cool. That's great because it takes the pressure off because I don't feel like they're special either. And I'm not willing to court them, be romantic, uh, compliment them, be charming. I'm not willing to go through all of that bullshit just to bring them home anyway. So at the same time that I became less uh, attractive, so did they. And uh, long, the long and short of it is I went disc golfing with a young fella uh, the other day. His name is John. And John is dating who this young lady who would be pretty much widely regarded as the prettiest girl within 100 miles in any direction. She's just gorgeous. She's just this pretty brunette, like dark eyes, like you name it. She's just like, a, she looks like she belongs in a magazine. And I didn't know that that was her boyfriend. My dad said, hey, I'm going to bring a coworker with and we are going to play disc golf. And I was like, sure, I don't know this guy, but the more the merrier. And I get in the car and he turns around and he's like, hey, I'm John. I'm Hannah's boyfriend. You know Hannah, don't you? And at that point, I had so much that I wanted to say, but I just simply said, oh, I know who that is. Yeah, like I'm not going to tell you what I'm thinking, but yeah, I know who that is. And then... You know, we had just met each other, but as the day went on, we were hanging out. So we got to talking. This is what he does for fun and yada, yada. And then he tells my dad and I, yeah, uh, Hannah, she's such a hornball. Like she always wants my dick and she's always trying to give me blowjobs and handjobs. And I'm not really, he's like, I don't know, bro. I just don't have a high sex drive. So I'm not really into that. Like I like to cuddle her and we go on dates and yeah, we have sex once in a while, once a month, I think he said, but he's like, it's just really not my thing. And to be fair, like you said, not everybody has a high sex drive. Libido, not everybody is a hornball. I get it. But to me, it was one of those things where you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Because he's going to be 50 years old looking back on pictures that they took together. And he's going to be like, I was with her and I was smacking her hand away when she was reaching for my dong. What the fuck, dude? It made me depressed for a good 30 hours. I got home that day after he told me that that he's constantly turning her down and she's a hornball. And he's like, oh, yeah, she's always trying to give me blowjobs and stuff. And like I told my dad, it, just, it ruined my day, it ruined my night, and it ruined the majority of the next day. I was legitimately sad and depressed. And I was just like, wow, how can anyone not, you know, you know what I mean? It just, it would be like, who is the uh, celebrity female that you find to be the most attractive? Like, just name one. It doesn't matter. Hmm. Jessica Alba is a common one. She was attractive back in the day. I haven't seen her recent. I'm pretty okay. out of touch, as you know. I work yeah, too me damn too. much. Yeah, so let's just say, like, prime Jessica Alba. Now imagine you meet her husband, and he's like, Ugh, dude, she's always trying to have sex with me. I'm like, leave me alone, you know? And you'd be like, what is wrong with you, man? You know? That that's, that's Yeah, that's kind of what I went through, and, and just... By the end of the next day, I was just starting to feel better about it. I was like, okay, that's it's not your life. That's his life. That's his loss. You know, like, it just really ruined my day. And so when I see dudes who are with super attractive girls and they're not, for lack of a better term, taking advantage of that, like, of the situation, it just bums me out. Does that bother you, too? It's almost like a, a new Ferrari. And it's like, and it's just, the guy's like, I don't really want to drive it. It's like, dude. <laughs> what's wrong with you i don't know that ferrari looks pretty nice in the garage don't it 
Yeah. The thing is, speaking of cars, the analogy that goes with that is if you're not driving your fucking nice car, all you're doing is like conserving the mileage on it for the next guy to drive, you know, like put some miles into that car. God damn it. And he's a young, nice guy. So I was just like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I wonder how good my poker face was. I bet I looked angry. <laughs> I don't know. It just ruined my day. And I had to get a grip. I had to like have a moment with myself where I was like, why is this affecting you so much? Because it like took the wind out of the sails. I got home and I had only been awake for like six hours and I just wanted to go to bed. I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to have any wine. I didn't want to play any games. I just, I laid there on my pillow and I was just looking up and it just, just bummed me out. And I feel like a, a lot of guys could relate to this. I, uh, I don't really know of too many men in that situation. Like I said, <laughs> this, um, the area that I'm in is not prime picking for either men or women. It's good that you're being fair and, and saying that the men aren't that great either. Yeah, well, I mean, the town that I grew up in, the city council or whatever the hell you want to call it, is very anti-progressive. They want to keep it a small town. Oh, yeah. Pretty much means that if you don't leave the area, you're pretty much going to be a burnout. So either the people that I went to high school with have moved away and are being successful somewhere out of my life or they're in the area still and not really what I would write to home to mom about, you know? Yeah, for sure. But I guess if I were in that situation, it would bother me to an extent. But my natural reaction when I have a very specific thing like that that does bother me is I kind of look inward and uh, have like an introspective moment and ask myself, why does this bother me? What can I do to change that? And usually I end up on one of my more productive moments in life where I have motivation, even if it's fleeting, but I will usually change things for the better for the course of like the next several months while that feeling of discontentment at their situation or jealousy, I guess, would be more accurate. <clears throat> yeah. I just use that as fuel to better myself in whatever ways I see that I can. That's fair. That's turning a negative into a positive, I guess. There was no way I was doing that that day. I got <laughs> home. I got home. I played a good round of disc golf. Like I've got some fresh air, some exercise. It was a beautiful day. Like everything in that day, I had good food. Everything was like overshadowed by the fact that this guy is with this young, beautiful girl and all she wants is his penis and he's just not giving it to her. It just bummed me out. It was just like, I know it shouldn't have, but it's just like, eh, whatever. It I would be say. like a starving African child. And I'm the starving African child, and I look over and I see this person eating and not eating a seven-course meal that's right in front of them, if if that's a fair analogy. It um, would be nice to have that feeling of <laughs> being in his situation. I won't deny that. Oh, for sure. Um, okay, so no matter how objectively we look at life and how logically and reasonably we view things, we are still human. And I'm not Dr. Phil, so I'm not going to psychoanalyze, but I will take a quick guess. You have told me in the past 
at various points that you're at the point where you're just hoping somebody will pick a fight with you, whether it's at work or at the bar, or you're just hoping somebody will throw the first punch or, or make it so that you get to take out some aggression. Those are your words, not mine. The way I see that is that looks like a way that you're trying to uh, let out some bottled emotions. And I have felt that. And I think a lot of guys feel that way, not necessarily too common with the ladies, but is that the case? Do you feel like a lot of the, the shit that you're dealing with in life stress and whatnot, do you feel like that might be the release that you're looking for? Even if it's just subconsciously, because to me, when you say I woke up today feeling like I hope somebody will pick a fight with me just so I can beat the fuck out of them. That sounds to me like a guy who's looking for uh, some catharsis, some release. Is that the case? Or do you just like always wish you were a fighter? Because that's common too. guys want to test themselves. I won't say that it's not for release. I definitely have things in life that bother me, and I'm not able to adequately vent that frustration, whether I'm working out or speaking about it with people I'm close to. But I'd say more than anything is being in that moment of confrontation cuts through the detachment and makes me feel like I'm in the moment. So I just kind of want to feel alive more than anything, more than bent or get anything off my chest. Chaos theory. Um, I'm not sure if that's the exact psychological term. That's just the term that came to mind. But there is that actual, uh, in psychology, there is a thing that therapists quickly identify. And it's most common in people who grew up in broken homes or with troubled childhoods. They are so used to and accustomed to there being tension, whether it's fighting among siblings, whether it's watching your parents fight, uh, kids who their parents were divorced and there's just this constant uh, unwavering tension. It's really common in people th who grew up that way because they're so used to there being problems, they don't know how to handle life when it's good. And I'm not saying that's the case here. It definitely is for me. I feel, for lack of a better term, alive when there's an argument or a fight or some sort of tension and I don't like it, but I don't dislike it. It makes me like pay attention and focus. And I'm, I'm like ready to argue. I'm ready to fight. And it makes me feel alive. Whereas when everything's all sunshine and rainbows, I can't really ground myself because I grew up where it doesn't matter what house I was in. There was fighting going on and swearing and yelling. And there was like the walls weren't thick enough. So when it gets too quiet and lovey-dovey and corny, that's when I start to almost feel uncomfortable. Like I wish somebody would start throwing some punches or yelling at each other. Do you feel that way at all? Yeah, there's a weird conflict confliction though. Like I want the confrontation, but I don't want it verbal. I find the idea of, I guess the argument side of confrontation like when it's verbal i feel like there's never a satisfactory result so even if i feel alive or get excited and feel in the moment with it i always leave the situation feeling more irritated than before because there's never a winner you know so with a fight you can more or less shut your brain off smack somebody around I'm not putting it in words very well, but 
it's like when I think of being in a verbal argument, I'm tired before it starts. That's but because you I, know the amount of uh, of thinking and, and arguing and debating you're going to have to put into it. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but when I think about somebody just popping off and swinging at me, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I can go for that. You know, all I got to do is move. I don't have to think about legal reper- Well, I still have to think about legal repercussions, but not like social repercussions as much i guess i know exactly what you're saying and you said you didn't describe it well but you did um i don't remember which podcast it was i listen to them all the time i record my own i record i'm I'm just a a podcasting motherfucker but there was one psychologist explaining uh, the difference between stress and uh anxiety in humans versus in the animal kingdom and it sort of goes with what you were just saying uh, just picture a zebra. It's an animal just like we are. It's a different kind of animal, but a zebra is always at peace. They're never thinking, oh shit, what if a lion is stalking me right now? They're at peace. They're in the moment. They're eating their grass. They're, they're bedded down. They're chewing their cud, whatever. As soon as they get the, the sense or the, as soon as they notice that they're in danger, their cortisol or cortisone, I believe it's, it's one of those, the stress hormone that your brain produces that spikes and they go into fight or flight. And they stay in fight or flight until they are aware that they're out of danger. Once they know that they are out of danger, that goes way back down to normal and they feel normal again. And it happens almost instantly. It's like a switch. Humans, it doesn't work that way for us. We can be stressed out even when we're not in immediate danger because we are thinking ahead which is something that zebras don't do. We're thinking about tomorrow I have to give this presentation in school. Tomorrow I have to go into the office at work because I'm being accused of stalking. Like we have these stress things that we are able to stress ourselves out in a moment of peace and, and, and clarity, even if we are not in danger at all. And that's what separates humans from animals as far as uh, psychologically, because we can be uh, sort of in fight or flight without any danger. And the only real release for that in the animal kingdom is you fucking fight it out. You fight or you, or you, you know, flee, you flight. And we don't have that fight or flight actually come into play very often because how often do you have to run for your life? How often do you have to fight for your life? More often we are forced to, uh, sort of speak our way out of things because we are quote unquote civilized and diplomacy first. And I, I understand what you mean, but when you say that that's tiresome, because it would be nice just to go, oh, you got a fucking problem and just start throwing down with your coworker rather than go, look, here's why you're a fucking moron. You know, it's just you can get angry and worked up just thinking about it. Does that ring a bell with you? A little bit. Um, How many times have you wanted to punch a coworker in the last month? <laughs> Doesn't matter, <laughs> male or female. Come on. Um, exactly. See, I have worked. A couple dozen times, at least. Okay, yeah, in, in a month? That's ridiculous. That's almost every day, you know? Oh, it's more than a couple times a day. Okay, that's fair, too. I mean, it <laughs> depends on uh, hours and days worked and all that, but essentially, is it fair to say every day, at least once, you just fantasize about a quick right hook to the jaw of a, a male or female that's annoying you? Yes. 
All right. So maybe that's just more so how you'd prefer to resolve things. And there's nothing wrong with that because back in the day, fisticuffs is how a lot of hand, uh, problems were handled. I just find it more preferable because there's no he said, she said type of stuff coming into play. You oh, don't yeah. have to worry about the fact that what they're saying whether it's factual or not, whether they're lying or twisting facts so they seem like they have the moral high ground. I don't like politics, I guess would be the best way of putting it. I like things to be clear-cut and direct, and usually that's not how they are. When you're arguing with somebody, Either they're putting on a show for the co-workers because they'll ultimately be the judge of who wins and who loses or saying things intentionally just to aggravate you, which leaves you feeling more irritated than when you started. I don't know. It's a complex feeling overall, and I still feel like I'm not quite putting it into words. But I do understand what you were saying with the zebras. Yeah, yeah, that was just a quick uh, example of how the humans handle stress versus animals. And animals, you wouldn't think so, but animals handle their emotions in a much healthier way than humans do. I'm not sure when or why that became the case, but it's true. If you were only ever stressed mm-hmm. out when you were in danger, you'd be so rarely stressed out. But we, we bring on these thoughts and, and these uh, anxieties mostly upon ourselves. Well, think about it. If you had to have something hiding in the bushes whenever you were... Every time, it's not like they have houses that they go home to and lock the door and they're safe for the night. Yeah, uh, civilized that... is the word that we like to use, <laughs> even though I still think at heart we uh, are one misstep away from reverting. Uh, I'd say we're all probably already in the process there. Well, say like an asteroid hits or a super volcano erupts or there's a giant earthquake that is, I know like seven point something is the highest on the Richter scale, but let's just say it's like a 20 uh that we had seen but uh say it's like a 20 and the power grid gets knocked out all of a sudden we don't have electricity we don't have internet things are going to get fucking crazy very quickly within a week people will be killing each other and that's just how it is we are one wrong step in in one direction away from becoming like savages yeah i can see that I think that it would most likely be something that we do ourselves that would result in that, though, rather than a natural disaster. Yeah, uh, either way. Um, for me, it's it's I'm fully not prepared for that. Like they say, the zombie apocalypse or uh, revelations, if you're a believer in what's going on in the Bible, uh, there's going to be this seven-year uh, period of time where everything just gets progressively worse. Like either way, like I don't, I'm not prepared for it. I don't have a food and water stock. I don't have guns. I don't have the ability to defend my house that will inevitably get fucking destroyed. And that's a, that's a rabbit hole to go down into. But yeah, it it just sounds scary to me. I feel like I'd rather die than try and live in that kind of world. I hadn't put too much thought into it for uh, having described myself as an anxious person earlier. That's not really one of the things that's ever been on my mind or caused concern. And it's more than within the realm of possibility. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. It's just one of those things where 
nuclear I don't war. know how you could prepare for it without knowing exactly what natural disaster yeah would lead to that you know for sure uh you you hear about it a lot in the hurricanes along the south uh coast like in uh where was it where they they had that giant looting problem after a hurricane was it new orleans um, people just started just going into stores. Obviously, there's no police. There's no locked doors. Everything's destroyed. They had this giant looting problem where, like, millions of dollars worth of stuff was taken out of stores and shops. Well, who's going to stop them? A hurricane just went through, and cars are moved down the street with wreckage. And, yeah, be a crazy thing. And that's just a hurricane. That's not even that hardcore on the spectrum of things. Yeah. People turn was- into animals real quick. People are animals most of the time anyways. They just don't see it because they hide it. That's right. When you when you look into someone's eyes, I feel like you can tell. It's almost like windows into their soul, as cliche as that sounds. But when you look into someone's eyes, I feel like you can tell if if you can trust them, at least to a, a degree. Because some people just have that crazy, lifeless look in their eye, like serial yeah, killer. Dull and some, yeah, and some people have like a warming, like... You can tell this is a kind person. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that. I would definitely... It's like a dull look where something's just not getting all the way through. It's because they're thinking about slitting your throat and they're they're distracted, you know. That could uh, be it. Knows. Well, we are coming up on the hour and a half mark and uh, I think we can wrap it up here. It's been a good one. I like the, the timing and the cadence and the time that you take to respond. You can tell... Everybody has a different sort of um, rhythm with which they speak. And when I propose something to you or when I bounce something off of you, you definitely uh, take your time and you have a good thought out response rather than just speaking to speak, which is a sign of a high IQ. And I, I don't want to uh, kiss your ass and blow you too much, but that's just uh, you're a good podcast partner. This has been a fun one. Um, everybody, this has been Jordan Anderson, IB Pro. If you have anything else you want to add before the end of this, feel free. Otherwise, we're going to have to do this again at some point. Um, I would like to say that you could kiss my ass or blow me all you want because, as we've already discussed, the women aren't doing it. I'm uh, For you? <laughs> Shit, they're, they're all over me. Fuck. Hundreds. I know. Hundreds um, and thousands. Other than that, no, it's been fun. I'd definitely be willing to do it again sometime. Yeah, what do you think, uh, podcasting? It's just uh, like it's not editing. It's not like a radio show. It's nothing prepared. It's just two people sitting down and bullshitting. You like that? Yeah, I'm out of my element. Like I said, I don't feel that I accurately put my thoughts into words, but it's definitely one of those skills that you would get better at as you practice. Yeah, that's for sure. It gets definitely more natural. So, When I try to listen to my the first one I ever recorded, I'm like... Jeez, t- t- today, Junior, spit it out. This guy's terrible. Who would listen to this? And then when I, I go back and check out like number 35, I'm like, oh, this guy has done a lot of talking. He is used to this now. This is good. He's managing his words well. Uh, it, it is something you can get better at. And uh, when you're smart to start with, I feel like it's definitely an avenue that is viable. So, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Amazon.com, click that link on the site and get your Christmas shopping done. Buy me a present. Do all that jazz. This has been Chestnut Checkers, the podcast where not doctors, not scientists, not celebrities, just normal people talk about life, and it has been fun. We will see you next time. Talk to you later, Jordan. Peace.